Welcome to Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast for I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host, Adam Reck. Talk about three, count them, three X-Men stories, and we determine what's the best and what's the worst. Adam, Adam, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm just chilling in my hologram-filled skyscraper uh, that I own all by myself for no real reason, and it makes me perfectly qualified to talk about our stories today, Zach. That's that's amazing. <laughs> if if you haven't get from that one weird thing, we're talking about life death. Life death is the theme for this episode. And do you know why that's the theme, Adam? Uh, this was a uh, a request, correct? It was. This is a Patreon request from uh, Trent Seeley, who is one of our supporters on Patreon and someone we uh, talk about comics with on the Twitter, which is... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Adam, for <laughs> expressing my thank you to Trent. Thanks, Trent. So we've got, we've got a whole Life Death-themed episode bespoke created around that suggestion. And just for everyone else, if you would like to have an entire episode crafted to your specifications based on something that you like, you know what you can do? You can go over to patreon.com, donate uh, $2 just like uh, Trent did, and we'll talk about some comics for you. It'll be good. Nice. So. Yeah. And these are good comics too. So uh, this is a great recommendation. Like this is, this is pretty solid comic books. Uh, This. Yeah. Um. When was the last time you read these? Is is this uh, something you revisit often? A while ago, like I I did okay. I did the usual X Men fans. I should go through Claremont again. Run, uh, mm-hmm. probably two yeah. or three. It was three years ago at this point. Yeah, I actually stumbled on these in floppies recently. Ooh. So I, I've I've read them recently and then just kind of flipped through them again for tonight. Um, but they're really pretty. The first issue is uncanny x-men 186 called life death this was written by chris claremont and a writing credit also to the artist on this barry windsor smith i think that's appropriate and he's been a uh, well-liked guy on this list so far yeah he's awesome yeah so let's let's talk about where this happens and when this happens and what happens in it this is right after Storm loses her mutant abilities. She's gone through the Mohawk phase, and she went to help Rogue with something, and Henry Peter Gyrich, the worst guy in the world, shoots her with a anti-mutant gun. And she wakes up and forges a What a jerk. He really? Look, he's not great. <laughs> he's bad to the X-Men. He's bad to the Avengers. He's kind of just the... He is the standard Marvel bureaucrat in a way that uh someone like uh, Maria Hill he's he oh Maria yeah, Hill he plays a similar role to what Maria Hill does nowadays but Maria Hill is mm-hmm. nuanced Fun. in a way that he very much is not <laughs> he's a 
Yeah, I've actually been uh, rereading uh, Bendis's infamous Iron Man, and oh, yeah. the way he writes Maria Hill on that is fantastic. Bendis writes a good I, Maria I love, Hill. I love that idea of sort of global policeman. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's yeah. it's good stuff. So uh, Garrick is no Maria Hill, right? But Garrick's actually not important that important in the story. What is important no. is Storm and Forge. So this isn't the first time we see Forge, but this is the first time we really dig into what his deal is and we only get mm-hmm. bits and pieces of it but it's fascinating there i'll tell you i was going through this and every time storm and forge have a scene together this book is on another level first off like you said barry windsor smith's art gorgeous very good artist 10 out of 10 would read again. oh yeah but I, I love the dynamic these two have in such a short amount of time in what, maybe 20 pages of them two, you see them go through mm-hmm. a full relationship right there. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of it is just a, a really very masterfully done uh, character study because we have Storm just completely distraught about losing her powers, but finding uh, some recognition in Forge because of his prosthetics. Um, And so we get this very instant connection and then this love-hate relationship that goes forward. So we're going from, you know, romantic kisses to like a wrap up with a punch in the face. Um, and both characters are so well-defined here. It's done extremely well. Yeah. Like Forge is a character that hasn't always been done right by. And we'll talk about that in one of the later stories Mm -hmm. we have on here, I'm sure. But this is an excellent portrayal of him like he's super engaging in this he's a fully developed character one of the one of the cool things he uh he mentions and i don't have the page in front of me but something about you know being he's cheyenne and that's a big part of him and not just you know later stories can get into very tropey very traditional hey look it's a native american person kind of things and that's that's not great but in this story here his heritage is a part of him. It's something that's an intersection yeah. between like it's it's intersectional between him being a mutant and him being uh, Cheyenne, him being a veteran, like all these different they all inform this character who gets so developed in such a small amount of time. You get the feeling that he's always been just on the outside of everything and he's learned to live with that. He's okay. He's fine building this giant glass holographic world around himself because you know what he doesn't need the outside world he's fine being forge yeah i've always really liked forge um my issue with forge comes when we get into the sort of uh tropey mystical stuff you know that leads to um you know the texas disappearance of of the x-men before the aussie yeah, area the adversary I, I really like forge when he is yeah, I, I yeah, that never really like I, I never loved that. Um and I like it more when Forge's eighties uh techno guy, you know. <laughs> like I think the the other character in this story, which is really important, I was joking about it before, is his house. Yeah. And the fact that it has the ability to kind of conjure these visions um, and these holographic images of, of what their their backstories might be or, um, you know, 
what's going on inside their heads. And it, it really makes for a great visual cue uh, for what the relationship is between the two of them and then what's happening inside their heads as well. Yeah, it's it's great. They Windsor Smith does a ton of good stuff using that location to inform the rest of the story. It's a masterful job yeah. in using that setting. Uh, can I tell you? Can I tell you the downside of this issue? I think you were probably you're probably about to say what I was going to say, um, which is that there's a little bit of an aside in this issue. Was that what you were going to talk about? I was going to talk about Rogue and Val Cooper and the diorates and how yeah. little I care about any of that. <laughs> it's just look I, and how it takes up a, a quarter of the page count. Yeah, uh, almost. You know, it's it's a considerable part of this like, issue. I'm not a guy who's read Rom Space Night because well, Rom Space Night is pretty impossible to read at this point in the, my life. Unless I want to buy every issue in a long box, which I've considered just for the, uh, just because it's so difficult to get. <laughs> but yeah, that's such an interesting, weird crossover, right? Yeah, yeah. And the rogue stuff is just not as engaging. Val Cooper, I mean, it's interesting to see early Val Cooper here, but she's not mm-hmm. as developed as she'll be later in comics history. I don't know. It's that part doesn't work. If this was a standard size book, I think it would hurt it a lot more than it does. But every time it switches away from Forge and Storm and onto the rogue stuff, I just I lose interest. And I'm like, okay, let's just let's get back to the good stuff here. Let's get to the meat. Well, and I had forgotten that this is 40 pages long. So this, you know, does have almost like a double sized um, format to it. And it allows them to go off on that side. And honestly, it wouldn't be Claremont if he didn't have some sort of plot, uh, you know, B plot going on in the backgrounds. Um, But it, it certainly doesn't need it. It detracts from it. But I think we can also kind of overlook that little, um, you know, cameo uh, aside and, and concentrate on, on the central story, which is, is just very, very amazing character work. Uh, it's beautiful art. And uh, there's a reason that it's a classic that kind of stands out on its own. Where, where do you think, right. where do you think this thing goes on our master list? Now for every, everyone listening at home, number one on our master list right now is days of future past. Number 45 is X-Men mm-hmm. Phoenix legacy of fire edited by CB Sabalski. It's a bad comic, and with recent revelations as of editing today, or as of recording today, it's less comfortable than it previously was, and it was already really uncomfortable. Mm. (laughs) That is an interesting observation, yes. Um, In terms of ranking life death, honestly, when I, I... was started thinking about how I wanted to rank life death. I started to gravitate right back to the other Barry Windsor Smith issue um, that, that we had done already, which was wounded yep. wolf. Um, I think life death, it, it holds its own as part of, you know, a classic in the Claremont era. And um, you know, I, I, I think it could be top 10 material. I what think it's think? very good. I went right to wounded wolf because they're similar stories. They're character studies on, for the most part, a single mm-hmm. character, Wolverine for Wounded Wolf and Storm for Life Death. I struggle with this one a bit just because it does have the fluff in it where Wounded Wolf is a lot more economical. I would I would sure. personally say it's below that. I think it's definitely better than the Wolverine in the X-Men 17 one with Dupe. Uh, I'm okay. trying to think 
where where do you think it falls between Generation X Volume One, Number One through Three? Um, I think this is better. You know, I love Generation X One to Three. I'm a huge Pachalo fan, but uh, I think Barry Windsor Smith knocks it out of the park here. I think this is a really, really amazing interaction between these two characters. So I don't know. I was kind of looking maybe at number 10. I think that's fair. Um, I'm good with that. Right below Wounded Wolf and right above Generation X numbers 1, 2, and 3, we have Uncanny X-Men 186, Life Death. Now, guess what we're going to talk about, Adam? (laughs) I can't imagine. Could we possibly be talking about the sequel? Life Death 2? Life Death 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yes. (laughs) It's actually life death from the heart of darkness, but okay. I like electric boogaloo better because it's storm and electricity. And when you explain jokes, they're actually funnier. Did you know that Adam? (laughs) Well, you know, that that's what all the standups do. You know, Um, I had forgotten what life death two was about. I, you know, like I I realized that I was just talking about how I bought these in floppies, but um, for whatever reason, I had thought that life death two involved forge and it doesn't Um, it's, it's, you know, storm. uh, Well, we should note that this is uncanny X-Men 198. It's Claremont Windsor Smith again. Barry Windsor Smith does everything but the letters on this one where, uh, where in the last one, someone else was doing the colors and I just closed out that tab. So I do forget. Um, yeah, Terry Austin did the inks okay, on that yeah. one too, which is, uh, we, we, we should probably just make a quick note, like, uh, cause Terry Austin did some of the Asgardian War stuff. That guy kills Terry it. Terry Austin. Man. Like what a start, great inker. Start flipping through um, a lot of eighties comics that you like. Terry Austin inked a lot of them. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, life death is storm returning to Kenya to an ambitious, ambiguous uh it's a village. group of people at a village you know we're not we're not getting too specific uh claremont i don't know that that is what he's necessarily interested in here we get you know a little bit of life and we get a little bit of death and it, it again gets to sort of you know prop storm back up and 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 get her to find her base um uh and, and find what she's made of again um which seems to be the oncoming, yeah, ongoing Storm story. this time, she had actually left the X-Men temporarily to go just kind of find herself after she had lost her powers and all that. Uh, she goes back home to Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got shot in the head. A bullet grazed her skull, but it didn't go well for her. Like, still, bullets hurt. Even if they don't kill you, bullets aren't great uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> uh so she has she has a bit of a vision of the x-men and she has to decide for herself whether she lives or whether she will die and storm the goddess mm-hmm. chooses life which works that's that's what storm would do i don't think anyone disagrees with that yeah. and she finds she finds a pregnant woman goes back to their village and helps this woman give birth which is done in a very touching way one of the one of the interesting things mm-hmm. that Barry Windsor Smith does in this issue is he uses nudity in a way that is not sexualized, which comics struggle with. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of storm, you know, walking around the African uh, Serengeti with, you know, limited clothing, but it's always it's always mm-hmm. done in a way to show her as you know this natural person that she's part of this. 
when she brings someone in, it's to show, you know, this is, you know, at the core, we're not talk, we're cutting away all the costumes, everything. This is survival. This is life. And this is death. And it's a very interesting choice and mm-hmm. a lesser artist couldn't pull it off, but Barry Windsor Smith does it very admirably. Yeah. I mean, it helps that Barry Windsor Smith can draw these strong, you know, warrior women um, and, and apply that to uh, what the way in which he draws Storm and the other characters in this book. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading this is Claremont's sort of, yeah, I, I don't know if sketchy is the right word, but it, it's always interesting to see how Claremont works a variety of different cultures into X-Men stories without necessarily doing his homework. We've had uh, a lot of criticism over the years of his versions of certain accents. And, you know, what what is, you know, we were just talking about Forge's uh, Cheyenne history and whether that was ever really done thoughtfully. This issue, I, I thought, while it keeps the actual cultural aspects that, that could have been a little bit more uh, accurate kind of on the periphery, it still does such a really great job of focusing in on the character um, and, and the group of people that she in- encounters that it doesn't bother me. You know, I, I still think this is a really, really strong story, um, but I don't think it has necessarily, it's a much more visual story for me as a reading experience, as opposed to life death, which is a much more character um, interaction between, you know, it's two strong characters back and forth. This is more just about a spirit journey for, uh, for storm. Would you, I don't know. What's your take on this one? So there's, there's a couple of things to unpack there. The the first one uh, you mentioned uh, his handling of Africa as a culture. And part of the issue is that line of Africa as a culture. Well, Africa is a continent with, a lot of different vibrant cultures inside of it. Now he he does you know set this in Kenya. It more closely aligns with that to the best of my knowledge, and I am not an Africa expert. I'll say that right up. Uh, but mm-hmm. it seems to treat it with respect. It seems to treat it with. He doesn't say I'm the smart white guy. I know all the answers. In fact, he straight up refutes that in this story. All these relief workers come to this village and have given them tools and given them equipment and all this stuff to try and turn an arid desert into something that can sustain more life and help them out. And it's a big part of the story where the elder of the tribe, whose name is uh, Manjari, I M J N A R I. And I'm not even, it. it's what it is. Uh, he says, Hey, look, they, they were trying to help. I get that, but they don't understand what we really need. And that's fascinating to me because I actually just listened to a something that a Planet Money uh, podcast that NPR puts out did about uh, relief workers in South Sudan who uh, they realized that you know sending straight up money wasn't really what was needed there because they hadn't understood what the culture was yet. What they needed were cows because cows had become a de facto mm-hmm. currency. And it was it was interesting to see that kind of play out in Claremont's awareness of this back then and saying, hey, maybe what we think are all the answers aren't the right answers. And maybe we should listen to some people on what they actually need. Yes. So I think I think all that's good. I think there's stuff that could probably be handled better, but I think Claremont, especially in 1985, does about as good of a job as he can. His heart is definitely in the right place, even if there's a few missteps here and there. 
I do agree with you that this is a bit more of a visual story, but I think this works better as a character piece for Storm, where Life Death, one, Storm informs... You learn a bit more about uh, Forge than you Storm. You still get a good amount of stuff with Storm in that. But right. I think that's that's a bit more yeah. of a, you know, to the tad, it's a bit more a play of those two against each other, where this is this is Storm taking all of those parts of her life that are... They run counter to each other. Storm is a woman of contradictions. She is the thief and the goddess. She is the rebel and the leader. Like, that is Storm in a nutshell. And this is one of the few stories to be able to pull all those threads together, which is, that's mm -hmm. like a mammoth task in comics. I don't know if there's anyone in over a decade who's been able to do that incredibly well storm's just a hard character to write well and yeah i i like this a lot well, personally yeah i do too especially um even just from a, a visual standpoint the scene where uh the elder member of the tribe passes away is just so visually stunning um you know barry windsor smith and his use of color here uh it's astonishing what he's capable to do in the last couple pages of this story um you know, I do like that this brings Storm back to, you know, the very beginning of what her story was. And we'll see that again um, in the next thing that we talk about. But this does it, uh, I think, extremely, extremely well. So uh, how does this stack up for you against Life Death 1? Um, and and so where would you rank I think, it? I think you like the first Life Death better, and I think I like the second Life Death better. Am I right? Well, they're, they're, both, they're both excellent. So, you know, I... You know, it's it's not necessarily that there's a preference. Um, I, I think it's just they're they're kind of equal in a lot of ways. They have they have different strengths um, that that both I, make them. Yeah, incredible. and I, I would say of the Barry Windsor Smith stories we have, I still think Wounded Wolf is probably better than Life Death too, just because Wounded Wolf is Wolf is real frigging good. Like that's that's the problem yeah. with these kind of lists. They start to become stacked at the top <laughs> yeah well and that's good that means that there's lots of awesome stuff i think i'm really comfortable if you want to put wounded wolf uh, or excuse me life death 2 in between wounded wolf and life death 1 um you know just for the sheer fact that i think we're acknowledging that life death 2 is such a strong individual character study of storm whereas life death 1 i agree does focus more on storm identifying with forges backstory so it's much Life more Death of a forge story also doesn't have um, the freaking so diorates so look it's gonna wreck high for me yeah it's i don't know does everyone else hate the diorates yeah, it's more direct Can someone add us and tell me if you hate the diorates too or this is just a weird x-men thing that i dislike i i would like to just put though uh a, a little positive note on diorates i think they're dumb and i think that they're redundant because you know obviously we already have things like brood, and the scrolls. Uh, they're, brood, they're brood scrolls brood, uh, they're magic brood scrolls uh, you know yeah um however i do think it still points to uh, you know i think in the last episode when we did as guardian wars we were talking about editorial freedoms and you know the ability to do some really bizarre stuff i do think that there is something absolutely awesome about the fact that here we have you know this weird property that marvel owns um that 
what was Rama yeah, originally? Was, is it a toy? So this, it's this a toy, was right? My dad was staying with us for a little bit last summer. Whenever IDW was redoing mm-hmm. their ROM line, because they have the license for it. Oh, yeah. And yep. they had they were giving out one for free comic book day. And I just came back and he was sitting in the living room. I was like, oh, yeah, I got all this cool stuff. And he sees, wait, ROM space? That was, that was a toy I couldn't have when I was a kid. And I was like, what? <laughs> he got real into it for a good evening. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a toy that Hasbro would put out. Well, and yeah, and I don't know if I've ever shared this because I, you know, I don't think we've really gotten into like how I got into comics, but I got into comics because of Marvel's Transformers series. Um, that was my gateway into comic books in general. Um, and I really do think it's awesome that in the eighties there was the potential for crossover between these, you know, toy licensed properties. And now, the All Stars, you know, like they made a point of putting. Was yeah, go ahead. Was the Marvel Transformers set in the six one six? Because I know Rom was. I know Godzilla was. Transformers yes. were in the six one six. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, it is, and they make a and they make a really direct point of of having Spider Man in issue three, I think, to make that very clear. Um, which you know they they never exploited that, but I still. I, the point of why I'm bringing this up is I do think it's cool that Claremont is is looking around and seeing what's available and bringing in these random things, even if the thing he brought in is dumb um, <laughs> and we don't like it. I do think that that still points to some, you know, something that's really cool that we don't see all that often, um, you know, in, in current yeah, uh, it's comics. You know, the, the, that whole idea of shared universe is a little it's bit. It's the strength of the um, Marvel limited. universe, and it's great. One aside on that before we get to the next yeah. thing, because you're bringing up weird uses of licensed property in Marvel. When we when we do the story of yeah. the founding of X Club, did you know that there is a part where Archangel murders actual Godzilla? Like the Toho Godzilla. No. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. That's not wait. That's not no. In it's X-Club, in. Uh, though, is it? It's fractions on leading up to like five o, whatever, whatever. They they oh. go they go well, through a That's Japanese cool. doctor, who was a character in the Godzilla series, and then he talks about this monster that has oh, been okay. chasing him for years and has been his arch nemesis forever and ever, and he's mutated so much since you know we used to know each other. And it's Godzilla. Like, they change his face <laughs> so he has a Fing Fang Boom That's face. Great. Like, just the, the nose because of okay. licensing reasons. But I'm, like, 99% sure yeah. in the canon of Marvel, that's what Marvel's Godzilla became. Which that's is Godzilla. Huh. It's not the Godzilla wow. that uh, had cool. a basketball contest with Charles Barkley, though. Those are separate Godzilla continuities. Mm. But we digress. That's That one's a classic. <laughs> uh, we never yeah, ranked we Life we Death 2. We said it was the new number 10 between <laughs> Wounded Wolf and Life Death. That's what we said, right? right. Okay. I'm I, 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 I'm not sure if we actually said that. So um, Life Death 2, Un- Uncanny X-Men 198, new number 10, and Life Death 1 at number 11. And that leads us to our third story of the day, which is not technically Life Death 3, but is yeah, pretty much Life Death 3. It's called Return of the Goddess. This was in the 2015 Storm uh, solo series. Uh, this was issue number three, written by Grave Pock, 
with pencils by Scott Hepburn and David Ballion, uh, inks by Hepburn and Jordi Tarragonia, and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. So this is this is interesting. Uh, in general, what were your thoughts on the Pac uh, Storm series, Adam? I liked it. I I liked that um, at that moment in continuity that Storm got uh, a, a solo focus, and I also liked that it was. It's interesting. It's kind of like what we have going on with the Hopeless's Jean Grey series now, in that each issue seemed to follow up on Storm's relationship, at least for the first couple of issues. Um, not that the series lasted for very long, but each of them followed up with a, an important character from Storm's past. Um, I don't know that ultimately, like if you look at the entire series, that it's, it's you know, 100% successful. But the first couple issues, I think, are pretty cool. And I, I like this one um, quite a bit. I think this was a good series. This particular issue is about Storm returning to the village in Kenya where she was worshipped as a goddess. And... Mm-hmm. Cable, not Cable. Oh my gosh, Forge. Who's? <laughs> oh, that that would make this issue pretty cool. I... <laughs> cable working okay, on relief. That's a weird pairing that I actually think <laughs> would, would work. Would... Now that I'm like giving it more than four seconds of thought. Yeah, Cable and Storm would be a good before. power Storm couple. Cable go on uh, relief. Okay. I'd like to see. Well, I don't want to see him get. I don't want to see him like have a relationship. I, think they I just would, want to I see him team up. I think they would do the That'd Storm and Wolverine dynamic better because Cable has mm-hmm. been worshipped as a god. Cable has been, you know, had the weight of everything on his shoulder, and he is a man of so much contradiction. I don't know. I could see it happening. That's not in this story though. She she has a relationship with Forge. <laughs> So Forge essentially tricks yes. her coming into this, um, coming back home to her village, uh, where it it's kind of an intersection of Life Death One and Life Death Two. It's the Forge relationship and her relationship with Africa, yes. and the relationship of you know what's best for the African people. It brings up on that thread uh, that Claremont said, "Hey, all these." Uh, workers they came and they brought all this equipment and it worked for a time but you know they didn't know what was best for us the thing i like about this story is that it expands on that particular concept um you know i'm always interested and kind of fascinated that um issues of uh the environment issues of global warming um you know socioeconomic issues that you know really affect people's lives are not talked about more in comics um, I think we saw a little bit of, of this again in G Willow Wilson's quick run on, uh, adjectiveless X-Men. Um, but I like when there are, you know, stories yeah. like this, right? It's, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think Pac has as strong of a grip on storm in this issue as like Claremont has in life death for sure. It. Some of it, some of it feels okay. a little heavy-handed here. Like Storm, pretty much, like she straight up tells Forge, "No, you don't know what's good for these people. Uh, you get a year to try and figure that out." That's just that's a it's a weird wrap up to this story, I'd say. Yeah, the conclusion of it is basically that Forge is saying that he can fix the tech that's involved here in a matter of days or weeks, and. Storm is essentially asking him and, you know, he's saying that he wants to be friends. He's not, 
he's not indicating that he's interested in like, you know, Mm -hmm. pursuing her romantically. Um, but her response is essentially, well, you got to prove yourself to me. So stay here for a year. And (laughs) it's, you know, I understand why, uh, you know, uh, pack wrote, that as the conclusion, you know, to, to really show that Forge is dedicated to the cause that he brought Storm there and took her out of uh, her daily life to, to deal with. But, you know, it's also not necessarily, if we're being frank, the best utilization of Forge's powers. If Forge has the ability to fix this equipment in a couple of weeks, he could go do it for somebody else in a couple of weeks too. Um, so, you know, it, it, it ends on a, on a weird note. Um, but I, I just wish there were more stories in contemporary comics about oh. issues like this. Um, I like that they explore the dynamics of, um, of yeah, the situation, I think it's here, a, you know, I think it's a situation of, you know, why can't Reed Richards cure cancer? Because it wouldn't be the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. Why, why did the nine 11 issue of Spider-Man right. have to happen? Even though in Canon, 9-11's been destroyed or attacked several, several times because the Marvel Universe is supposed to be the universe outside your window. So Forge can't go and cure famine in Africa, even though from everything we've seen from Forge, Mm -hmm. he should be competent enough to be able to do that. And, you know, (laughs) everything we know from Reed Richards... He doesn't want to turn everyone into dinosaurs, so he should be able to cure cancer pretty uh, pretty easily and not get distracted. And we talked about this when we uh, when we covered Heroes for Hope, you know, the idea of famine being uh, a, a villain that they really didn't know how to handle. Um, I, I don't necessarily need the, the superheroes to go out and magically fix these. I just think it makes for interesting subject material. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that it was worked into this story. And, uh, you know, it, it, is it the same as life, death one and two? No. Um, even if you had brought Barry Windsor Smith back for this issue, you know, it's not the same. Um, yeah, and unlike but the I still last like one, it. we haven't talked, so we haven't talked a lot about the, the art here just because the art here is very, it's, it is the Toyota Corolla of comic book art. It's perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with it. I have no real issues. It is good old steady comic book art that's not going to surprise anyone. It's 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 fine. It's solid. It's just not great. Like it's oh, not amazing. I, I like the art. I think it's I think it's well done. I think the storytelling is really good. Um, this is the kind of art that I I think um is better than some of the individual issues that we've seen of x-men over the last couple of years um i think i think it's pretty solid exactly solid Uh, however you know it's unfair it's unfair to put anybody up against but that's the job um, who is obviously that's that's what we're here for people up against barry windsor smith yeah so uh so we're we're in agreement yeah. that this ranks lower than life deaths. Now, oh, oddly yeah, comparable, yeah. Heroes for um, Hope higher than I, that, right? Um, Heroes for Hope's at d- d- forty three. D- 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 how far down did we go? Oh, that's. I'm telling you, it's better than Heroes yeah. for Hope. I mean, I think the other thing, because Heroes for Hope is bad. Um. Yeah. No. 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 It, de- it definitely is. Um. I was looking more towards. Um. 
like maybe in between no more humans and the X-Men volume two uh, Mojo story. I mean, because it's not that this is bad by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's fine. Um, it, it does cool things that I, I like. It just, I don't know how much here's, real meaning here's it my, has. Um, however, I was just going to say, my thoughts yeah, on it are, it's an issue that I forgot existed until you mentioned doing it for this episode. I I know I read it uh, when it hit Unlimited. I, okay. I wasn't picking up Storm and Floppies. I was catching that on that six-month delay. But I read it, and I said, oh, this is good. This hmm. is This is fine. And I completely forgot about it. And there's some stuff on this list, like uh, above that is Deadly Genesis or Fatal Attractions. And like, I'm remembering those. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. Like those did something that stuck with me. And there's parts of those that I don't mind. Now, I I would say I think it's better than Deadly Genesis because I don't dislike this story. I dislike Deadly Genesis. We've made that very clear that there is a gap in our opinions. Um, And would we say that this is more uh, memorable than the first issue of Silver Age? Would you rather reread X-Men number one or Storm three? I would rather reread X-Men number one. (laughs) Mm, I think so too. So maybe it's in between X-Men volume one, number one, and Deadly Genesis. The new number 39 on this list, not an amazing showing. But yeah, not not the worst in the world. Storm Volume Three, Number Three. Uh, we're just gonna call it Life Death, Life Death Three. And that'll do it for this episode. That was that was three interesting ones. Had some uh, had some good stuff. Oh oh, one last thing. The best part of Life Death Three. I'll tell you. Uh, there was a variant cover that I've just sent you the link by uh, Stephanie Hans. Take a look at it. It's freaking gorgeous. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. This is actually is, it's beautiful. This is becoming one of my favorite Storm pictures. I don't know why. I think it gets a lot about Storm that I like. That's great. Yeah, it's really nice. Anyway, go go pull that up on your phone right now, all of you listeners. We'll wait. And we're back. So uh, <laughs> this has been Battle of the Atom. Everything Battle of the Atom comes from our great supporters on Patreon, just like Trent. Thank you again, Trent. Thank if you. you would like to join their ranks, go on to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and you can uh, you can donate whatever you want. If you can't support monetarily, I know I don't support everything I listen to monetarily, then go on over to uh, you know your local podcast getting thing and leave us a rating or a review. It really helps people find us. Helps us move on up, 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 up in the podcast ranking, so we could, you know, definitely officially be the number two X Men podcast in the world. What? Uh, we're, we're we're coming for Jay and Miles. They they've gotta they gotta be watching. Oh please! But, we're just know, doing we're, our thing. We're, we're getting there. No one's pretending that we're them. <laughs> okay, yeah, no one. I was thinking of pretending, but then I decided not to. Uh, but if you want to see me pretend to be Jay and Miles or do kind of anything else. You can go to XavierFiles.com. That's where I have weekly articles about X-Men. As this goes up, I don't know which one I will have been written because this is actually being recorded in the very far past. Uh, you haven't even – we haven't even recorded the episode you heard last week yet. So 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's going to be good, though. It'll be actually number 99, and I'm getting oh, ramped up for number 100. Cool. That's going to be a big anniversary. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I like that. Event. Yeah, this is this is this is breaking into the triple digits. I didn't think that was happening. <laughs> uh, you can you can also go to Twitter at Xavier Files. Follow me. That's where you get all of the updates about the show and cool stuff happening there. Uh, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, you can also just take a look at my art at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, we. I am working to get a big cartel store open with uh, hopefully at the beginning of December. Um, we're recording this before the beginning of December, but hopefully um, we'll be able to have pre-orders because uh, I'm going to do uh, with any luck, a print edition of Bish and Jube's age of strife with some fan art inside. And uh, we'll do pre-orders through big cartel. And then uh, hopefully I can get those out to everybody before the holiday um, so that, you know, you can, have them under your Christmas tree. <laughs> yep. It, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. I will be, I don't know if I'll be the first one just cause I don't know when I'm going to see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting one ordered. Well, uh, so the last thing, well, I like fish and jubes. <laughs> I do. Uh, the last thing that I do want to mention, uh, tonight, actually, as we write or as we talk about this we're not writing anything we're just saying words out of our mouth holes uh there is a new podcast that has been launched by a friend of the show it is called the young ones and it is all about teen superheroes i it literally has gone up while we've been recording this so i have not gotten a chance to listen to it yet but charlie and charlie's friend whose name i forget i'm very excited to listen to it and all of you should listen to it too I think that covers everything, right? Yeah, I think so. Good plug. Has this been Battle of the Atom? It has been. And what do we hope? Do we hope they survive the experience? <laughs> we do. <laughs> Great. See you next week, guys. Get it!